Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible study every Wednesday night at the same time that we meet in the church building at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ right here in Omaha, Nebraska. Now, we know that there are many people in the area of Omaha who are not able to be with us at that particular time, but they do want to be in God's Word. We also know that people listen and they get into God's Word with us on a regular basis all across the country and literally around the world. So we're thankful to have this opportunity, the ability, and the means to be able to teach God's Word on such a widespread basis through the medium of the, in, of the Internet and by means of these podcasts. We're thankful that you're there, and we're thankful that we can be here with you to open up God's Word on a regular, continual basis and dig a little bit deeper, learn a little bit more, and grow in our faith. Because faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. Now, we encourage you, share these studies with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, other technological means. Share with your family members, your friends, your work associates, your neighbors, with literally, literally everybody you can. Boy, do we ever need in our country and all around the world right now to get into God's Word so that we can come closer to God. You may help somebody do exactly that. You may help somebody get to heaven. So make that commitment and start sharing today. Now, we also encourage you to tell everybody to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Click on the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. It is free. It always will be free. And when somebody does that, they will automatically receive to their smartphone or computer or whatever smart device they choose our Wednesday night Bible class, our Sunday morning Bible class, all of our sermons, and a Monday through Friday radio program we call Search the Scriptures. Also, a seven-day-a-week short Bible class that we call today's Bible class. Only about 13 minutes each day, but it's every day, seven days a week. All of that will keep a person in God's Word and help continue to keep them growing in their knowledge of God's Word and in their faith. So tell everybody you can and take advantage of it yourself. Again, it will always be free. And once you sign up for a podcasting, all of that Bible study material will automatically come to your smart device. Now, we're going to get into the next book of the New Testament that we have been working our way through. And when you think about where we began oh, a few years ago, we have come a long way. We've come through a number of Paul's shorter letters. We've also looked at James, first and second Peter, first and second, and now third John, third John. Now, we took some time in second, in, in second John. Of course, we've been taking time all the way through this study because we've not rushed our way through it. We wanted to dig deep and really get a better, more thorough understanding of all the rich material that God has guided those penmen, Paul, James, Peter, John, to write down for us as God's very word, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. So tremendous instruction for the individual Christian and for the church, but also by way of a broader application for people who have not yet become Christians. They can learn about Christianity, about godliness, and they can grow in their faith through studying all of these text materials that we have through these various books of the New Testament. 
It's there for everybody. Now, 3 John is, again, a very short letter from the Apostle John. Again, John simply being the penman, the, the agent or the man who wrote it down on paper, but God is the author, as God is the author of all of the books of the Bible. 3 John only has 14 verses, and I don't think we're going to spend as much time in this particular short letter as we did, say, in 2 John. We took considerable time going through 2 John. There was some more material there that we could focus on in sections, uh, but 3 John is, is pretty flowing, and I think we'll be able to get through this in maybe just a couple of sessions. We begin with verse 1. And Paul begins identifying, identifying himself as the elder. To the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Now, when we think about, okay, Gaius, well, we can <clears throat> read about a Gaius going back in one of Paul's letters, uh, or going back into the book of Acts, rather, and uh, perhaps also in one of Paul's letters. But again, we're talking about common names for the culture of that day, just as when you look at the gospel account according to Luke and the beginning verses of Acts chapter 1, Luke being the penman of both of those books of the New Testament, he addresses a Theophilus. Well, a lot of people have speculated as to who that Theophilus might have been, but we really can only conjecture in trying to identify him because, again, that was a common name in the culture of that day in that part of the world, Theophilus. Well, when we look at the opening verse of Second John, you remember that, again, John identified himself as the elder, and then he addressed the short letter, just 13 verses in Second John, to the elect lady and her children. I believe, as we pointed out, that most likely he was talking there about the church being the elect lady, the bride of Christ. When we look at 1 John, 1 John and chapter 1, it's interesting, he does not begin that way. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that, we, that, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may also have fellowship with us, and truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Well, he does not there in those opening verses identify himself other than by the general pronoun we. Uh, and, but he's, he's identifying himself by implication, by saying we were there. We saw Christ. We were with him. We've seen him risen after he, was, after he died on that cross and was put in the tomb, buried, basically. We've seen him risen after that. And so we understand that he is the penman of that particular letter, and then he addresses these second two letters uh, by his hand, again, guided to write them by God through the Holy Spirit. He 
addresses, he identifies himself first in the very opening word as the elder, and then addresses them, Second John, to the uh, to the elect lady, and Third John to Gaius. Interesting, interesting. Well, again, you you look at different letters from the New Testament scriptures, and you you find different penmen using different styles and and particularly addressing certain congregations or individuals, depending on who the main focus of that letter is initially intended for. Now, we come to 3 John, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. And I think we're to understand, obviously, that this Gaius was a Christian known to John and probably had a close relationship with John. He addresses this letter to him. So, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. It's interesting that John speaks of his children here. Now remember, when, when we looked at Second John and his opening address there, he said to the elect lady and her children. Well, so I, again, I think he's talking about, by children here, spiritual children and the church. Now, maybe he's talking about a particular congregation, or maybe he's talking about a particular group of Christians whom he had a personal hand in teaching the gospel and leading them to Christ, to be baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins, and thereby becoming Christians. Well, again, some of this is, you know, kind of what I call in technical terms calculated conjecture, and that is just a good guess. But he's obviously writing this to a Christian man named Gaius, and he is speaking to him uh, as being one among his children, spiritual children. Verse 4 again, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, maybe Gaius had a relationship as kind of, well, John being his mentor, so to speak, for a period of time. Uh, and and Gaius could relate to him, you know, <laughs> clearly with no with with no sense of of uh, you know put down or offense, as John refers to him as his one of his children. He understands the sense. Remember that the apostle Paul looked at Timothy, who worked with him, and Timothy from our cultural standards today was certainly a grown man when he went with Paul as kind of a right-hand man and went from place to place on missionary journeys, and Paul would uh, leave him in, in, in one or two places to continue on the work after Paul moved on. But, but from the cultural standard of that day, Timothy was considered to be a young man. Well, how old was he? Maybe 30 years old. You know, that, that was about the, the top end of what was called, considered to be youth or young, young men in the culture of that day. But Timothy, you know, Paul referred to him as his child, so to speak, or his son. 
And it wasn't in that he was his biological father. It was that he took him under his wing and helped him to become involved and grow in the faith and become involved in the work of spreading the gospel. And so he mentored him. And Timothy became a great uh, companion and co-worker with the Apostle Paul. Now, there were some others as well. Paul names a number of people in different letters. We could think certainly of Barnabas being the first one who, who went and found Paul and after he had become a Christian and before he was maybe as readily accepted with open arms by a whole lot of congregations of the Lord's Church in that in that time because of his former persecution of the church, Barnabas brought him to Antioch and worked with him and was a co-worker. And on the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas were the highlighted co-workers who went on that missionary journey. And then there was also Mark, John Mark, and then there was Timothy, and there was Silas, and, and so on. Well, so here John is writing to a man with whom he, I think we can obviously can, uh, you know, assume he had a personal relationship as a Christian brother, and maybe even as a mentor. So to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now he's talking about physical prosperity or blessing. He's not necessarily talking here about financial prosperity, but he says, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. The most important prospering there is going to be spiritually, as your soul prospers, but also prosper in good health. And then when he says that you may prosper in all things, now that that could include in John's mind, well, and even financially. But he's not necessarily talking about Gaius becoming wealthy, but simply God blessing him and taking care of him in every area of his life, physically, financially health-wise, but most of all, spiritually. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. Now, he's talking about, he's talking about Gaius's faithfulness. Gaius is growing in the truth of God's word. Remember, Jesus said in John 8 and verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And remember also that the Apostle Peter wrote in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22, when he talks about a person becoming a Christian, being born again, he, he uh, identifies that as that person learning and responding in obedience to the truth of God's word. In verse 22 of 1 Peter chapter 1, he wrote, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. And then verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God. Now, we keep emphasizing in these studies that God's word is the basis for our faith. Now, someone might say, well, wait a minute, isn't God the basis? Well, God's communicated his word to us in the scriptures. 
And so faith, again, comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. So how do we develop faith? We get into God's word. How do we grow in our faith and stay strong in our faith? We stay in God's word. We keep studying. Remember the apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, King James Version says study. Other translations say be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, the word of truth. So Paul rejoices over hearing that Gaius was living in the truth of God's word. He was so glad to hear that. In verse 4, he says in 3 John chapter 1, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth, that they're staying truthful. And that could also be translated the truth. My children walk in the truth. Now, that's specifically talking about the truth of God's word. And you could kind of boil it down further and be saying the truth of Christianity, the truth of Christian doctrine. Now, how important is it that we really understand and live by, believe, teach, and practice the truth of God's Word? It's all important. Because again, those various texts of Scripture that we referred to a few moments ago, John 8 and verse 32, Jesus said, you shall, you, shall, uh, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We could add John 17 and verse 17, on the night of his betrayal, Jesus prayed to the Father and said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And then as we read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, Peter says, you purified your souls in obeying the truth. And he identified that truth as being the word of God, whereby we've been born again, or through which we've been born again. Well, people, I'm afraid, a whole lot of folks in the broad spectrum of Christianity, and I'm using that that identifying term in a very broad sense, all who would call themselves Christians, I'm afraid that, that a whole lot of folks in, under that umbrella really do not understand the importance of learning and staying in, in a very dedicated and focused way, the truth of God's Word. I'm afraid a whole lot of people who call themselves Christians, their Christianity is kind of a feel-good religion. They don't really get into God's Word much, let alone know it and really understand how to live by it. But then there are also all kinds of denominational positions through various denominations that keep bending the truth or changing it to suit themselves. Truth is narrow. Truth is always narrow, and it needs to be respected and lived by faithfully in order to still be the standard of truth by which we live. When we start changing it, it's no longer the truth. We've emphasized different times, looking at Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, where Paul, he is amazed as he writes the churches of Galatia. And he says, I, I'm, yeah, 
I, I'm, I'm amazed that you are so soon removed to a different gospel. False teachers have come in. They've changed, they changed the gospel, and they were teaching members of the churches of Galatia. And Paul says, many of you, you've been kind of taken in, or at least you've been moved toward accepting these false teachings of a different gospel. And then he goes on and says, which is not another. And the sense being, which is not another gospel. Because you see, there's only one true gospel. When we change it, it's no longer the gospel. It's our teaching then. We've made it up. So John is, is emphasizing how thankful he is for this Gaius because obviously he knew Gaius. They had a relationship, probably a close relationship. But he said, I, 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 was, I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and told me of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. And he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children, my fellow Christians, walk in truth, the truth of God's word. People need to accept God's word as being truth and not try to bend it, not try to shade it, not try to replace it, change it in any way. Truth is truth. Whether anybody likes it or not, whether anybody believes it or not, it's still truth. Now, verse 5, he goes on and he says, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. So I'm made to wonder, was Gaius perhaps a preacher of the gospel or maybe a teacher of the gospel or maybe an elder within a congregation of the Lord's church? Or maybe he's just simply a Christian who really lives the Christian life and he helps others in whatever ways that would be appropriate and needful for them as a Christian. Now, of course, first and foremost would be helping them by teaching them the truth of God's word so that they can be forgiven of their sins as they're baptized into Christ and they, as they become Christians. You do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. Now, maybe he's talking about benevolent deeds here helping people out who are in need of some kind of financial or physical assistance of some kind. But that might simply be a part of the good works that he's doing. Who have borne witness of your love before the church. So, beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love for, before, the truth, uh, before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well, because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. And so Gaius apparently has made an impact on some lives as he lived his Christianity openly and faithfully. He didn't put it in his pocket. He didn't hide it behind closed doors. He lived the Christian life. I think we get that, obviously, from how John is writing to him about his good works and about his staying in the truth of God's word. 
He goes on in verse 8 and he says, We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. That we may become fellow workers for the truth. Well, receive such who? Well, these brethren and strangers you've helped. You send them forward on their journey in a worthy manner of God. They went forth for his name's sake. Well, as we help other people become Christians by teaching them the gospel message of salvation through Jesus Christ, or as we help people grow in their faith, grow stronger in their faith and in their commitment to God through Jesus, then we join together in the work of spreading the gospel in the work of, of doing good works that will glorify Father, our Father in heaven. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse, and verse 16. He said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and then put it under a basket. He says, let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so John seems to be saying here, we all join together. Gaius, you've done good works. You've helped other people. You have influenced them, I think we can understand, at least some of them, to become involved in good works of Christianity as well, and spreading the gospel message of salvation. So verse 8, we therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Fellow workers. I've said many times that the life of Christianity is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a lifestyle that we must stay dedicated to throughout our lives. Well, the same thing can be, can, can be said basically, kind of different application to the work of the church. It's not a one-man job. It's a work of all of the church, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All of us who are true Christians, the work is our work. The preacher himself is not the church. He is a member of the church, and the church is not a building. The church is all of the members who make up the church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we, we really identify with individual congregations in our given area. But again, it's not a single person who is the church. It is every single person who makes up that congregation they are all the church. And so whatever the church is supposed to be, whatever the church is supposed to do, it's all of us who are supposed to be that and do that. Now, there may be individual ones of us who says, well, you know, I can't get up and preach in the pulpit. I understand that. But you can do something to spread the gospel. If it's no more than, than perhaps just inviting somebody Come and, come and worship with us. Come and come to Bible class with us. 
or maybe sending them a card of invitation, or maybe a, a, a short brochure that, that has Bible teaching on it, helping them understand how to come to God through Jesus. The work of the church is the work of all true Christians, because all true Christians are the church. We'll, we'll look at the basically the second half of this short letter, beginning with verse 9 next time, and probably we'll get through the rest of this particular one-chapter short letter from the Apostle John. You can read ahead and be ready. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to guide us in your will, to give us such instruction, detailed and general at the same time. And, and, and such wonderful and rich instruction and teaching and encouragement guide us to always hunger and thirst to learn more and more from your word and give us your wisdom and guidance to make the proper applications consistently to our lives, Father, we pray. Guide us, help us to live to your glory always. Please forgive us, gracious Father, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.